I think if I was playing football, if I ran off right tackle, that way I could get out of here. That's, everybody's sitting over here. But anyway, good to see, <laughs> see everybody here today. Glad that you've come for this time of worship. And if you're visiting with us, we're so happy to have you here. Hope that you'll um, enjoy your time with us and come back to worship with us uh, many, many times in the days to come. Wonderful Wednesdays continue this week. Um, you're invited to be an artist for the day, children. Meet Mrs. Katie and Miss Leanna in the social hall from 9 to noon. A guest artist will lead uh, the kids through painting their own canvas masterpiece. Wear old clothes. Uh, and it's really important to know how many are going to be here, so we need for you parents to register online at greerchurch.com or tear off the register through the bulletin. Somehow let us know so we'll have enough uh, paint supplies on hand. Uh, Katie says a special thank you to Jessica Krim for leading the wonderful Wednesdays last week, movie day. Um, I, I, I've never seen anybody disappear from here quicker than Jessica did on Wednesday. She was out that door. I think she's worn out. But anyway, we do appreciate her uh, subbing. United Methodist Men announcement. United Methodist Men will not be meeting this week on Tuesday as previously announced, but instead will meet a week later, July the 26th on Tuesday night um, at Southern Times in downtown Greer. Men, please mark your calendars now and plan to join us for dinner at 6.15. Contact President Eric Jeter with questions or concerns. Also want to um, remind you that the administrative board will be meeting right over here immediately following worship service today and charge conference will be meeting also there next Sunday right after church um, if needed. We've got it scheduled. Also was uh, asked to tell you folks, you know, Marjorie Mitchell has been gone a lot this summer. Her sister is um, battling cancer up in Charlotte. So Marjorie is there um, living with her sister and taking care of her in, uh, in a very serious time of, of health. Um, we have Marjorie's email address in the church office and I'm sure you would uh, love to write her and she would love to hear from you. That's probably the easiest way to get word to her right now. So if you uh, would like that, if you'll call me, I'll get that address to, um, to June and she'll be able to, to give you that. Other announcements are in your bulletin. Hope that you will be guided by those uh, announcements. Our youth are back from a week of missions work up at Cherokee Indian Reservation and they will be meeting this evening at their usual time. Let us now begin our time together in worship.
affirmation of faith is the Apostles' Creed. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sit at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to tell us the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. <coughs> This time we'd like to invite the children to come forward to join Sylvia Dobson for a few moments of sheer. with you about something today. Um, suppose somebody took you to get an ice cream and you really, really enjoyed it. What would you tell them to let them know that you enjoyed your ice cream? Yes, thank you. Uh, another question. Suppose you have a birthday party and somebody brings you something you really, really wanted, like maybe a new Barbie doll or maybe Woody from Toy Story or a great DVD. What would you tell them? Yes, you tell them thank you. Let me ask you this. Does mom ever make you write a thank you note for your gift? She does. That's not quite as much fun as getting the gift, is it? <laughs> but that's something that's a good thing to do. Well, you know what? God gives us good gifts each and every day. And I want to share a Bible verse with you. It comes from the book of Psalms. It comes from chapter 136, <coughs> verse 1. And this is what it says. It says, say thank you to God for he is good. Say thank you to God for He is good. Miss Sylvia and Mr. David took a trip last week. Where do you think we went? We went to the beach. We went on vacation. We did. And Miss Katie and Mr. Eric and Miss Tricia and Miss, Mr. Chris, they all went with us on our vacation. And the very first night there, look what I found on my bed. It was this bag, and look what it says. It says, Happy vacation, Mom and Dad, and Thank you, love, Eric and Katie. This bag was filled up with candy and gum and all kind of fun things to use while we were at the beach. And it told me every day that Mrs. Katie was grateful to us and she was saying thank you for, coming on, for being able to come on our vacation with us. Listen to this um, next Bible verse that I found also in the book of Psalm, chapter 118, verse 24. It says, this is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and give thanks in it. This verse tells us that we need to not only thank God, but thank him how often? Every day. This is the day the Lord hath made. 
this is the day. Let us rejoice and give thanks in it. So every day we're to give God thanks for all of the good things that he gives us. Well, I was very thankful this past week for my family and for the beauty of the beach and the mad, majestic waves that came in and the gorgeous nighttime sky and all of the fun that we had. So I said a thank you prayer to God and I thanked him over and over for the wonderful vacation that we had and all the beautiful things that we got to see and the fun things that we got to do. What are you thankful for? My family. going um, to say now a thank you prayer to God and after our prayer I'm going to give each one of you a shell. I hope you'll take this shell home and I hope you let this shell be a reminder to you to say thank you to God every day for the things that you are thankful for. Okay, let's bow our heads and um, you can repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for this day. Our family food and drink, our church, Jesus, our friends, and all the things you have given us to enjoy. Help us to remember to thank you for our gifts every day. Amen. Okay, reach in. Everybody got a shell. Our Old Testament lesson is Genesis 28, uh, verses 10 through the first part of uh, verse 19. I think it's a familiar passage to most of you. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. 
He was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, the house of God. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm chapter 8 on page 743. I invite you to turn to that page and stand um, as you're able as we share God's word together responsively. <clears throat> o Lord, our Lord. Your glory is chanted above the heavens by the mouth of babes and infants. You have set up a defense against your foes, to seal the enemy and the victory. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them, and mortals that you care for them? Yet you have made them little less than God. You have given them dominion over the works of your hands. You have all things under their feet. All sheep and oxen. And also the beasts of the field. The birds of the air and the fish of the sea. Whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O oh Lord, our Lord. Our epistle reading is from Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. 
the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and daughters, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we celebrate the goodness of your creation. How marvelous it is whether we look within in a microscope or out into deep space with a telescope. Your hand is seen there. The work of your hand is evident all around us. And we are so grateful for all that you've given us on this planet We're thankful that you gave life to the human family and have blessed us greatly as we have multiplied and spread out all around this globe, traveling from one end of the globe to the other long before there was a convenient means of transportation. But we were following your inward commands that you had given us to go into this world and become those who would exercise dominion and caregiving to your creation. And so we give you thanks for this and thank you for the occupation that you've given to us to be your partners in good stewardship, caring for everything that you have created. We're thankful, Lord, for the wonderful way you created the seasons so that after a season of rest, your good earth will produce crops and that we find there plenty to live on day by day and year by year. It's an an amazing and marvelous thing for us to realize that at part of the time in the year we face the bitter cold and snow on the ground and just a few months later we are roasting in 100 degree heat Your creation is indeed awe-inspiring and wonderful, and we're thankful for this. We pray that as you call us to care for one another and to proclaim the good news in Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world, you will keep us mindful that the first commandment you gave us was a stewardship command to watch over your planet Surely, Lord, we can do both of those assignments. Cause us to rise up in your strength, to care for your creation, even as we care for your children who are lost or hungry or alone this day who need your love. We are especially mindful, O God, of our own church family members in their times of need and illness and and um, recovery from from surgery. We name these in our hearts to you and we lift them to your throne of grace and love. We remember our church family members who are struggling in their homes and we know their homes where it's a difficult time with children and in other places there may be a struggle to find work to provide for the family's welfare. We pray for all these concerns, knowing that you care about everything that touches our lives. If it concerns your children, we know it concerns you, and we're grateful for this. 
We are thankful for Jesus, for his presence here with us today and his lordship in our lives. And it is in his name that we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving.
Our scripture lesson from the gospel today is Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30, and then 36 through 43. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seeds in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will collect the harvest. I will tell the harvesters, collect the weeds and tie them up in bundles first to be burned, and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then moving over to verse 36. Then he left the crowd and went to the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the, fly, in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father, he who has ears, let him hear. Here ends the lesson. Thirty years ago, this here city slicker was appointed to three churches in Saluda County. The land of five peas, pines, ponds, pastures, poultry, and peaches. I never did see much but cows everywhere. The good folks there had lots of fun at my expense because I had a master's degree, but I didn't know a thing about farming. One farmer took me out to his peanut field and pointed at, pointed at the mature plants that were there, and then he said, they look healthy enough, but you won't find a single peanut on one of the plants. I was about to share his sense of disappointment when he broke out laughing and reminded me that peanuts grow under the ground, part of the root system. For the years I was in Saluda, the congregations there expected me to preach an annual sermon on soil conservation and the ecology. I said, I didn't have any of that in seminary. They said, you'll learn. Um, the local soil conservation office supplied the churches with special bulletins for the day, and it was a big deal across the county. And every year on that Sunday, my farming ignorance was placed on public display. But I did know enough to know that soil conservation is rooted in the Bible. 
It is a biblical theme, a stewardship issue, one that I don't preach on nearly as often as I should. The United Methodist Church has had a social creed since 1908. In it, we say that we affirm that the natural world is God's handiwork, and we dedicate ourselves to its preservation, enhancement, and faithful youths by humankind. Paul, writing in the Romans passage we read earlier, said that God's redemptive work in Christ Jesus included the redemption of creation also. You see, way back in the beginning, in Genesis 1, 2, and 3, we read that God created everything that is in this universe, and we know that is true. Even though most Christians today understand the Genesis creation stories not as literal history, but rather as symbolic truth. God's six days of creation may have lasted millions of years each. And this is especially true when you consider that for the first three days of creation in the book of Genesis, there was no sun in the sky uh, to define what a 24-hour earth day would even be. Even if God made us through a process similar to what science talks about, in their term evolution, it still would be God who has made each one of us in whatever manner God chose to do so. And then immediately following our creation, God gave us all a job. He put us in charge of his planet, assigning us the task of overseeing all of creation. The earth is the Lord, the Lord's, but we are the stewards of the earth. God's very first commandment to human, humans was to tell them to increase in number. We've done pretty good with that. To travel the whole world over, we did well with that. And to conquer the land, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. You see, that makes concerns about our planet a very spiritual calling for our lives. It is a commandment from God. Perhaps the most spiritual thing I'm doing right now is trying to get some grass to grow. <laughs> Paul tells us in Romans 8 that creation has been subjected to futility and frustration. It is all out of sorts, is what he's telling us. Marion Swords, a professor of New Testament studies at Louisville Presbyterian Seminary, writes, Remarkably, Paul is persuaded that creation, like humanity, is in very real bondage to sin. So that Paul sees creation at being at odds with God. I think about that every time the television brings us images of entire villages wiped out by tsunamis, tornadoes, and hurricanes, or when volcanoes erupt and the earthquakes, you just get the feeling that nature is out of control. Nature is not presently existing as God had originally intended for it to. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when he did this, it was tacit admission that a lot of things that happen here on earth are not a part of God's will. And that makes it a part of our work to bring it into God's will. In education, in medicine, in research, and in the church, our job is to help bring people and even nature back into line with God's will. 
It's funny to me that insurance policies often talk about acts of God when they refer to storms and earthquakes, when in fact they are referring to acts of nature that is out of the control of God at this present time. Now this understanding should help us from blaming God for things that happen which are beyond our control and beyond our comprehension. In the parable of the wheat and the tares that we read today, we hear Jesus tell about a farmer who planted good seeds in his field. And later an enemy came along and sowed weeds among the wheat so that the good wheat and the bad weeds had to coexist in the garden. Evil exists alongside of good and will do so until the final harvest, Jesus said. And again we hear another biblical story that informs us that things in the garden are not as God wants them to be or intended them to be. The good earth that God created has been hijacked. How did things get this way? The biblical explanation for this is that these things are the result of what happened in the Garden of Eden when humans rebelled against God. You see, when we fell, we knocked creation down with us. The first result of this human rebellion was a broken fellowship between God and people, as shown by the fact that Adam and Eve went into hiding from God. The second result of their rebellion was a broken relationship between people. Adam and Eve became estranged from one another. It's the fault of that woman you put here with me, Adam told God, as we witnessed the birth of male chauvinism. The third result of the rebellion was damage to the natural world. The ecosystem was affected. The ground became difficult to farm, Genesis tells us. Thorns grew up and choked out the good crops. Even childbirth became more complicated, Genesis explains. As the little children's song we used to sing says it, Adam, you must leave this place. Earn your living by the sweat of your face. So he took a, a rake and he took a plow and that's why we are all working now. According to Genesis chapter 3, this is where sin and death entered the world, as did the process of decay in nature. So even those of us who understand Genesis more symbolically than literally see that the scripture teaches that all of creation has been impacted by human sin and error. We have hunted several species into extinction we have polluted our rivers and streams. Our smog produced acid rain that has killed the trees up on Mount Mitchell. A friend of mine who is a consultant with SJWD Waterworks says that one of the things we've done in our lifetime has been to lower the water table under the ground in the earth. Every time we pave a highway or a parking lot, every time we build a new house and put a new roof up, we create a water runoff problem. Rather than soaking into the ground, the water runs down our roofs and down our roads into storm drains and into rivers and out to sea. Back in my childhood, you could dig a well and go down about 40 feet and hit, hit good water. We built a bunch of wells up at Asbury Hills when we, when we got that camp back in the 60s. 
shallow wells about 40 feet deep. Just had to have new wells put in two or three years ago. They had to dig down 200 feet to find water. We have lowered the water table. Humans created the great dust bowl of the 1930s by allowing our cattle to overgraze the grasslands and by overplowing land for wheat. In the first major dust storm of 1934, 318 metric tons of topsoil were blown away. In 1986, our Council of Bishops became so concerned that the United States or the Soviet Union might use nuclear weapons on one another that they issued their historic proclamation in defense of creation to warn everybody that there was a whole lot more at stake than which country won the Cold War. The continued existence of life on our planet might be at stake. We're now constantly reminded of the dangers of global warming, which, by the way, is almost universally accepted within the scientific community. All this is connected to the failure of human beings to be good stewards. You might not be used to defining sin in terms of uh, proper long-range planning or the destruction of a planet, but sin literally means missing the bullseye, missing the mark. And so it is our human failure that can lead us to misuse God's creation. Human sin, therefore, has had both a spiritual and an ecological effect so says the Bible and modern science. But creation is not without hope. Paul said that human redemption would result in the redemption of creation. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay, he writes, and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. The kingdom of God, which came in Jesus to this earth and is continuously coming into the world today through us, and will come in its fullness when Jesus returns is having a redemptive effect even today upon creation. Paul said that creation itself waits in eager anticipation for this redemption. And just as you and I are called to enter into God's redemptive work of proclaiming salvation to human beings, we're also called on to enter into God's redemptive work with his creation. That makes our efforts to control erosion and to recycle what we can decidedly spiritual work. There are always new ways we can discover to enter into the redemption of creation. Years and years after I moved away from Saluda, I was sent to Spartanburg's Church of the Covenant up on the Asheville Highway following a pastor who had made environmentalism a major thrust of his ministry there. Those folks not only asked me to preach every year on Earth Day, but they also asked my help in recycling aluminum cans and paper. And they even made reusable cloth bags for carrying their groceries home from the grocery stores. They had a very interesting answer to the question, paper or plastic? No, thank you, I brought my own. Whatever we can do to keep from turning our countryside into one unending landfill, is something Christians need to be doing. Last year, the parsonage got a new carpet in the den, and I was told by Randy Mayfield that the carpet was made from recycled Coca-Cola bottles. Last year's beverage bottles had become this year's parsonage carpet. 
last year's aluminum cans may have won the World Series for the USC Gamecocks as we recycle aluminum for bats. We can also recycle our bodies too, donating blood at the blood bank, donating our bodily organs for, for reuse after our deaths. Hey, when I am dead, I'll be finished with this old body of mine, and I hope parts of it can be used to benefit somebody still alive. I do hope that people will make sure that I am dead first before they do that, so if you will just come by and pick me up and drive me through the parking lot at the Beacon or take me by the Waffle House, if I don't get up to eat, I'm dead. <laughs> Doctors can then have whatever they want. For God's creation was meant to be redeemed. Herbert Marbury writes in his African-American lectionary, Paul reminds us that we live inextricably linked to the rest of creation. God values all creation and works toward its redemption. As Christians, we are God's children, admonished by Paul to care for the world that God so highly values. Isaiah prophesied that a day would come when nature would be returned to its correct uh, moorings, its correct uh, uh, creation ways. And at that time, the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child will put his hand into a viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord, as the waters cover the sea. Back in the 1970s, when our nation was awakening to concerns about the ecology, songwriter and singer Neil Young wrote a song called After the Gold Rush. Folks, if Neil Young can make it as a singer, any of us ought to be able to. But uh, he wrote this song, and it was uh, re-released a few years ago by Dolly Parton, Linda Ronstadt, and Emmylou Harris. It is one of the most haunting songs I have ever heard, and I never hear it that it doesn't make me stop and think about stewardship of creation. The song begins with European explorers coming to this beautiful new world where they enjoyed trees and where the sun seemed to be just floating in the breeze. And then it quickly turns to what we've done since we arrived here. It says, look at Mother Nature on the run in the 20th century. Next, the song paints a picture of total destruction of the sun so dimmed by thick clouds that it's mistaken to be the moon. Finally, the song ends with people being selected to board silver spaceships to travel to a new home planet because we've totally destroyed this one that God gave us. That song is a reminder that this might happen if people forget to take seriously God's command to us to take good care of his earth, may we always be God's faithful partners in his work of redeeming his creation. Amen.